Lord Jesus, we can't get enough of being in your throne room. And so now as we approach you, we pray that you would continue to soften our hearts to receive your message this morning. And may it change us. And would you give us the courage and the boldness to not resist your love, um, but to also share it. Thank you, God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, let me uh, see if I can become mobile here. Testing, testing. Button. There we are. You hear me? Praise the Lord. Well, friends, it's been a wonderful week, and uh, Andrea and I are so excited to be here today. And just as we're here experiencing church and getting to even serve a little bit, um, I would just have to say, and I could probably be speaking for my wife on this, even though I'm up here and, and she's down here, but I can, we know each other well enough to know what's going on in each other's hearts for the most part. And uh, I would say... We feel the love. The Lord has blessed you, and, and you are blessing others. And so thank you so much for your ministry. And it makes me so excited when I come into Godfrey's office, and I see these nifty things, which tells me you guys have plans on sharing this experience that you have, uh, that you're enjoying here in this place. I don't know if you are like me, and you have ever attempted to portray an emotion that is not actually going in, on inside of the heart. Let me give you an example. Earlier this week, my wife and I, uh, we were in Visalia. I think it was Thursday evening. We did a little thing for the Visalia Church, and right afterwards, we went to Target. Uh, we wanted to pick up a few things. I think, the, I think initially the mission was to get Q-tips because we had just run out. And um, some little weird fact about me, I am, I am obsessive over Q-tips. I, I can use maybe a dozen in one day. That's not exaggerating. Yes, I don't know if I'm addicted to the feeling of it. There, there is a little bit in me that doesn't like the, the feeling of my ears being full. If you know what I mean. Yeah, just that, yeah, it's probably too much information for you. But I don't like that feeling. And, uh, and Andrea it was always amused at that early on in, in marriage. But I, I think you may have picked that up a little bit too. I mean, I will get up in the middle of the night sometimes. I kid you not. I'll tell Andrea, I got up in the middle of the night to clean my ears. I will wake up in the middle of the night and I just like, it just doesn't, I just don't feel great. I can sleep so much better if I just was at ease with myself. So I'll, 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 I'll go clean my ears out and then go right back to bed. So we were going to get uh, Q-tips and then, 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 the, then we started adding other things to our, our, our time there. Uh, Andrea picked up a new little prayer journal and then she said to me, she's like, you know what, we're out of dryer sheets. We're all out of dryer sheets. I'm like, oh, okay, so let's go get some dryer sheets. So we go into the you know, laundry detergent section and 
uh, every laundry detergent also has its companion dryer sheet right next to it. So we would go in there, we'd see this big green bottle, gain. And then there'd be little cardboard boxes next to it saying gain dryer sheets. So that when you're, after you finish washing your clothes in gain, then you can dry them with the gain dryer sheet. Then there's bounce. And then there was tide. And, and every detergent had their little dryer sheet right next to them. <clears throat> and I happen to have a favorite dryer sheet. And Andrea since has gotten sold on this particular dryer sheet. It's the one with the, the cutest white bear in the world. You guys know what I'm talking about? Snuggles. Yes. Snuggles. So, uh, you know, Andrea and I, we actually decided to uh, divide and conquer because there's a couple of aisles, a couple of rows there with, with detergent and dryer sheets. And I'm thinking, okay, I'll go down this one, you go down the other. So she's looking for the snuggle dryer sheet uh, on one aisle, and I'm, I'm in the other row here looking for the same thing. I find the snuggles detergent. And I kind of felt like Adam naming all the animals. There's like Mr. Bunny and Mrs. Bunny. There's Mr. Giraffe, Mrs. Giraffe. There's the detergent, there's the dryer sheet. Detergent, dryer sheet. But when I get to the snuggle, there is the detergent, but it had no companion. The dryer sheet wasn't there. And I'm thinking, they don't care the dryer sheets for snuggles. This is, this is terrible. And I thought, well, maybe it's somewhere in here. Maybe I'm missing it somehow. And I see one gentleman he, who works there cool-looking dude, kind of walking, you know, a little bit, you know, confident and everything, just kind of walking around, checking things out, making sure the store, everything's all organized well, and he's walking along, and I'm thinking, I'm going to ask him, and then I have a tendency to picture what I'm going to say before I say it. I imagine myself saying it sometimes before saying it, and that gets me out of trouble sometimes, and when I jump ahead of myself, then I get into trouble sometimes, and so I pictured myself saying it, it's like, I can't ask this guy <laughs> where the snuggles are, because I really pictured, I imagined myself saying, excuse me, man, do you know where the snuggles are? <laughs> and and I, I, I tend to, I pride myself in being able to keep a straight face sometimes. Um, I'm actually pretty good at it. Uh, you can ask my friends. I'm pretty good at holding a straight face when, uh, during funny moments, you know, sometimes I, I, I pride myself in being able to, to show my wife, demonstrate her how much in control I am of my emotions. When I want to laugh sometimes, but I can hold it in, and I can keep a straight face. This time, no way. No way. And so I was actually even making eye contact with him, and I was walking up to him, and I just kind of went like this and went back into the aisle. I dismissed it. I aborted the mission and continued on because I knew that what emotion I had going inside of me, I would not be able to contain it. It would come out on the face, it would, it, would, it would pour out in laughter, and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to manage holding the straight face with this, with this gentleman. If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Luke chapter 6. I want to show you something here. Luke chapter 6. Luke book of Luke, 6th chapter, and we're going to begin in verse 43. Check this out, friends. Jesus speaking, he says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Verse 5, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. 
For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So in other words, you cannot ask for snuggles at Target to another dude and, and, and keep that which is going on within. Um, Jesus is basically saying, hey, this is, a, this, is a, this is a principle. This is something that you can't get away from. Whatever you have going inside of the heart, inside of the heart is going to come pouring out in some way, shape, or form. I might be able to even keep a straight face sometimes. I can hold in the laughter, but I have really close friends that can tell that it's right there. That's right there. It's something. There's something different about my face uh, when they know that I want to, to laugh about something. You and, I have, you, you and I have forced a smile. We've done the opposite. We've tried to force a, a brave, courageous smile uh, around our, our friends and our loved ones and, and, and in public when in reality we're breaking on the inside. You and I have, um, in one way or another, it doesn't even matter what you do for a living, um, you have to do some persuading sometimes. You, 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 may, you may be selling something, and you may, may not be selling certain items necessarily, uh, but you could be selling an idea to somebody. And you may have been in the uh, situation where you're trying to sell an idea to someone or persuade someone about an idea that you're just not excited about. Jesus says, look, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. It was a few years ago in Fresno, there was a billboard that had a picture of, of, of a bunch of famous faces. And it was advertising basically a, a leadership convention. Uh, one of those things that the entrepreneur like minds like to go to. And um, in fact, the entire conference office went to this thing. I was not working at the conference office at the time, but a good friend of Godfrey and I, uh, Steve Hamilton, called me up and said, hey man, are you going to uh, that leadership thing? And I said, I wasn't necessarily planning on it. He's like, come on, I'll meet you there. I'll come from Oakers, you come from Hanford, we'll meet in Fresno and we'll, we'll sit together and everything. And so, so we went. Um, and there were, there were politicians, there were celebrities, there were entrepreneurs, there were uh, professional athletes that would, uh, get on, that would take the stage and share their ideas and their thoughts. And, and, and there were some, some neat ideas, some neat insights that came uh, to us uh, in the subject of leadership. But I, I couldn't help but be so impressed that each time a person took the stage, in fact, that when they took the stage, sometimes they'd shoot fireworks up that would come up around the stage a little bit, little poppers and stuff and lights, and the, you know, they're, they're, they're getting everybody all excited. But I, I remember thinking to myself, you know what, they don't even need these lights and the, these fireworks shows. The personalities that are on this stage are so big, they're so energetic, they're so electric, uh, that they, they can work this crowd even without all of these things. I was just so amazed at it, because I'd never even, I'd seen some of these personalities on, on television screens, uh, making their speeches and interviews and what have you, but I'd never actually seen it in person. And let me tell you something, friends, there's a night and day difference. I mean, you feel that energy coming from them, just exuding from them. And I, and I, I was so curious, and, and I tend to get curious about things, and I'll, I'll go online and read about it. I'm like, they, they've got to know something. They're doing this on purpose. Everybody has the same thing in common. They just have this incredible uh, big personality. And so I, I went on to search and I found out that what, what it is is they have, many of them 
have what is called a charisma coach. Like they're being charismatic on purpose. Like not only that, but they, they're in, they're, 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 they purposely, intentionally research and, and get coaching on how to be magnetic. And uh, on one of the websites, I, I came across uh, a book from a charisma coach, someone who has coached celebrities, someone who has coached politicians, and, and curiosity got the best of me on that. I bought the book, got it on my Kindle. Uh, I read a couple chapters in, and I, I didn't need to read no more, anymore. I, 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 had, I, I felt like I caught on to what is going on here. Interesting insight. This author, she says... First and foremost, for these personalities to be what they are, we need to understand that they're not like that all the time. So it's not like they, they get on stage and they're like, whoa, da, 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 everybody, this is a great idea, and you can do this, and, and everybody's like, yeah, I can do, yeah. And then they go home, and, and then they, hey, there's my animals, and, and my goat, and, and you know, they're, they're not like that all the time. In fact, they're quite the opposite. She says that she has to work with them. They have to actually, even before they were to walk on the stage, they kind of have to get into the zone. And the most important thing when it comes to getting in the zone, she said this, listen carefully. All of these big personalities, and some of them are the real deal. Some are, are you know, lovers of the, of the Lord, but check this out. She says, everybody, and this is a secular writer, in fact, even a little bit new age uh, in some of those early paragraphs, especially in this one, she says this, everybody carries a certain amount of shame in their heart. They're regretful about something deep within. And she says, and, 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 and just for the recording, the author of this particular book, it's, it's uh, not a spirit of prophecy book or anything like that, we, Sometimes it, it, uh, when we say she says, you start thinking I'm, I'm talking about somebody else. So, so here's the thing. She goes on to say that everybody bears shame in their hearts. And what will happen is if that is at the forefront of their mind, uh, that guilt or the burden that they carry onto the stage, even if they know how to posture right, even if they know how to, to carry themselves and, and to pace the, their voice and, and to sound excited and, and what have you, that burden in the heart will affect some microscopic muscle on the face. And people are so good at reading postures and facial expressions that those things will leak through. Yeah, they'll leak through. And so she makes all kinds of suggestions that, that you need to do something with your shame. You need to get rid of it somehow. You can, you can tell yourself, oh, Everybody is guilty of something. Everybody's done bad things. And I'm just one of many people who have done that. You can share your guilt with the rest of the world. Uh, I think the book even said, the universe. Share it with the universe. Or, or give it away to some deity or, or these kinds of things. And I thought to myself, well, I think we as Christians have a pretty good idea. Uh, well, at least I hope so. What to do with our shame. And I begin to think about how much sense, sense that could make. Jesus, the most magnetic personality this world has ever seen. I mean, I imagine little kids could, well, we know little kids were drawn to him, and parents would bring them to him, and, and, and they'd sit on his life. He would bless them. Um, 
he, he, could, he could say, let's go rest a while. Let's go get some downtime to his disciples. And they'll go find a little private place. But the moment they sit down and look up, they've got multitudes of people coming to Jesus. And I thought to myself, Jesus had no shame. There was no guilt in the heart of Jesus. Everything he did carried a power to it that moved people. I was reading a really cool book that I love. It's called Desire of Ages. If you've never read it, I rec highly recommend this book, Desire of Ages. In fact, uh, Library of Congress votes it the best book on the life of Jesus, obviously besides the Bible, but there's just this amazing passage in there how it just describes this description of, of Pilate. When you read in Scripture, you kind of see Pilate's uh, his, his, his take on Jesus changing. Um, and, and in the, this book, it gives us an awesome description of, of what's going on there. Basically, Pilate, he's getting up, it points out that he's getting up in the middle of the night to go judge Jesus. The Jews have brought somebody, some, some guy that they're convicting over to him. And if it's so important that he needs to get up in the middle of the night, then he must be a really bad criminal. I'm going to just go get this over with, and I'm going to get back to bed. And so Pilate, in a hurry, comes down. He's like, oh, let's get this over with. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sleepy. I don't get much sleep. And so here he is. He, he takes a seat. He's getting ready to uh, do what he's about to do and hurry up and, and convict him. But the moment he lays eyes on Jesus, he's taken back. It's almost like he hit a brick wall. And the description, I love what the author does there, says that basically he did not see on Jesus the marks of a criminal. There's no shame or guilt in someone like this. What's in Jesus' heart is coming out of everything. Every, every, every posture of his body, every single micro-muscle, Jesus is innocent. Not only that, but there's just this divineness about him. There's, there's a power that, that's carried with him that moves anybody. Everybody's struck by it when they behold Jesus. So they did not, he did not see the marks of the criminal, but the signature of heaven was all over him. Whoa. I can't convict this guy. There's something special about this guy right here. Jesus had something special going on about him. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. In fact, Jesus actually goes on to kind of share a little bit of his secrets on, on, on just his ability to move people. Okay, so Matthew chapter 5, this is his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verse 13. He starts out by telling everybody, he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, it's what? It's taste. Some of your Bibles might say savor or it's savoriness. There's no potency to it anymore. I would submit to you that Jesus is kind of talking about what we're talking about right now. Basically, if, if that salt, if that person, if that individual, if that witness for the kingdom of heaven has lost its potency, its power, it's not good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. In other words, when the world looks at it, it, it it's worthless to them. There's, there's just really not much to it. 
Then he goes on to say this. He says, verse 14, he says, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Wow. So then he says, in the same way, verse 16, let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now Jesus needs to give a disclaimer. He says, by the way, in this whole sermon, don't think, in verse 17, that I've that I'm come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of the commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, watch very carefully what he does here. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness, unless your what? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is, is he's, he's launching his ministry, and in his ministry is going to consist of times where he is going to rebuke sharply the scribes and the Pharisees. John the Baptist has already been doing it. He's already told them, you brood of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore come bearing fruits keeping, in keeping with repentance. And Jesus is about to be doing the same, but he doesn't want anybody to get the wrong idea that, oh, okay, okay, so, so we don't have to be like the Pharisees, but he actually takes it a step further. He says, no, 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 here's what's going on. To the scribes and the Pharisees, probably the charismatic public speakers of their time, Jesus says about them, he says, look, I don't want you to get the wrong idea that like, hey, yeah, we don't have to, we don't have to be like all cool and holy like them. But Jesus actually says, I'm going to make you holier than that. I'll make you holier than that. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he goes on to give examples. In case we're thinking to ourselves, wow, I've heard that the Pharisees have they had the entire Old Testament memorized. Heard they were incredible at praying that they were ministers and they, 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 they were incredible leaders of, of the people. And, and I mean, there, there are historical accounts even that suggest that, that they were actually really nice people. It's like, I've got to be like that. And then Jesus is now taking it further and saying, we've got to even be more holy than that. So in other words, if a Pharisee is able to I don't know, um, help an, uh, an elderly person cross the street. I've, I've got to be able to do that with even greater style. And what, you know, how do we take it a step further? How do you even do that? How do you take what the Pharisees are doing and go up a step? Jesus says, I'll, I'll, I'll make it real clear to you. Um, let's go to verse 27. Check this one out. Verse 27. Jesus says, and he's already sharing and giving examples up to this point, but he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Here's how we take it a step further. Verse 28, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whoa. 
Okay, so here's, here's the thing. Go back to Target with me. Excuse me, man. You guys carry the Snuggles dryer sheets? I did that all right, huh? I wasn't going to be able to do it that night. Okay? But it, in my heart, I'm wanting to burst out laughing. And Jesus is basically saying this. He says, look, when a Pharisee is asked by his enemy, by a Roman official, to carry their load one mile, they'll go with them one mile. But the kingdom of heaven is about being real. If love is real, and you truly have love in your heart for your enemy, you're going to go with them two miles. It's not going to get anybody's attention to do what they're supposed to do, just to, just to go with the law and, and carry the, the burden one mile. The Roman soldier could say, hey, thank you so much. That's, that's all I can require you to do. Yeah, but are you home yet? No, I, I'm another mile down the road. Oh, well, then let me keep going. Really? You don't have to do this. You realize that? You don't have to be doing this. Ah, it's no problem. Let me do it for you. It's then that the heads start to turn. It's then when salt becomes savory. It's where it starts to have some flavor to it. You know what I mean? Okay? Uh, it's, it's, it's where the light is starting to shine in such a way that they're seeing the good works and glorifying the Father in heaven. The one mile, it's just like, well, I can glorify man because I commanded him. I'm a man. I commanded him to go one mile. He did go a mile. But, but now he's going the second mile. I didn't tell him to do that, and I can't command him to do that. There's something, there's some other source behind this. The Father who's in heaven. A Pharisee may not be sleeping around and committing adultery. But he says, for you, my Christian friends, I want to be real in the heart. I don't want you to be looking at other women and lusting after them unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And here's the awesome thing about it. If Jesus is giving us a new heart and making us loving like him, it's not going to be burdensome or hard to do these things. That's, what, that's, that's really what he's saying right now. He's saying basically the Pharisees are actually going against the emotion. They're holding a straight face while they're asking for snuggles, dryer sheets. Okay? But I'm going to make you really serious about that when you ask for snuggles, dryer sheets. I know that's kind of a silly illustration, but I hope you get what I'm trying to say. When you go to walk a second mile with a person, it's not going to be something that's burdensome and trying to you, but it's actually going to be something that just it, it flows from you. Because I, look, I'm going to, here's, here's the good news, whatever I'm telling everybody here, I'm going to make you real. Your righteousness is going to be real. It's going to be really coming from, from the heart. You're not going to be fighting against the emotion. I've heard of, uh, you know, different, um, I don't know, we could take photography, for instance. Got curious about that uh, a year ago. Started reading about that. And um, nowadays we have fancy you know, lenses that, that account for your, your shakiness and everything. But, but before, people, you know, if they didn't, weren't using a tripod, they would take into consideration of making sure that they're not, like, using their muscle to hold the camera still. Because if there's tension in the muscle, eventually it's going to give way and they're going to drop their shot. And then you're going to get blurry shots and stuff because you're, you're shaking around. But, but one idea was just to, to try to be in such a way that you're removing all muscle, muscular tension. Um, 
people, people that are competition shooters with rifles and everything. They, they want to make sure that they're not using the muscle to hold up the rifle, but they get down and they put like, you know, the, the little padding here and they want to build a little skeleton structure. Some of you guys know about that maybe more than I do. But anyway, the whole idea is to remove any kind of tension that's in the muscle to where it just, it just it, it, it flows. And so basically what Jesus is saying is, look, I'm going to remove the tension. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to remove the tension. Lust of righteousness goes beyond that of the scribes and the Pharisees. You're going to take it even further. It's going to be in such a way that it moves people. And so, friends, let me tell you something. That in itself is going to speak so much louder and so much more powerfully than your skillfulness at witnessing. I guarantee it to you. Some of you see February 20 and, and you're thinking to yourself, man, uh, we, I've got this, these meetings that are coming up and I know I should invite some friends, but I'm just not very good at it. I'm not very good at sharing. I'm not very good at talking about the Maybe, What if they ask me questions about the Bible? I don't know how to answer those questions. Let me tell you something, friends. Elijah, when he was at that cave after running away from Jezebel, an angel of the Lord appeared before Elijah. Did something very special. I don't know if you've ever caught this, but, but that angel did something amazing. Just put his hand on Elijah. So the angel appeared and touched him. Didn't say anything at first. Just touched him. And I was, I was, I was impressed to, to study into that a little bit. Just why? why? Okay, of all things, why did, it, why did the Bible go out of the way to say, the angel touched Elijah? And that was the first time I ever learned about oxytocin, serotonin, and these kinds of things. If you're unfamiliar with that, oxytocin is a wonderful hormone uh, that takes place. Um, it can happen when, when a sincere smile of love happens. That's why we like to take pictures with us. Soldiers take pictures uh, with them. We have pictures in our office, uh, offices or, or in our homes or the, these kinds of things. We keep stuff in our wallet. Um, pictures of loved ones, especially in, in that, those smiling moments because uh, it, it releases oxytocin. The handshake, high fives even, but high fives are quick so you only get a little bit of oxytocin. I don't know. I don't know how that works. Okay, and embrace. That's why doctors say you need like 20 hugs a day or something, or 20 seconds of hugging. And when I first learned about that, and I, and I, I even read that because there was another article in conjunction with that, I, 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 I went to hug Andrea, and, um, and I looked at my watch while doing that. She's like, do you have to go somewhere? I was like, nope, I'm just trying to get to 20 seconds. What are you doing? It's like, we're getting oxytocin, babe. Yeah, let me tell you about it. Like, let, me, let me show you on my iPad here. Okay, oxytocin is amazing. It not only can heal you emotionally, but it's so powerful that it can heal you physically. And uh, there's an incredible book, one of the coolest books ever I've ever read about doing ministry and gospel work and witnessing. There's this amazing book called Ministry of Healing that, that talks about, uh, it, it's talking about medical missionaries and, and doctors and, and things like that and, and the, the things that they can do and prescribe, but, but even more so, Listening to the patient, being concerned for their well-being, praying at the bedside for that patient 
will do so much for them. That's why you have some of these programs you hear about in, in care centers and, and some hospitals where they'll, they'll let little dogs come in. People will come in with their dogs and just let the dog hang out on the bed or the cat. That's why they say people will tend to live longer if you have a pet, a cat maybe, you know, it, rather than living all by yourself. Because even, even the, the love from an animal can, can produce these, these wonderful uh, effects on the human body. And I, I'm just, I was so blown away by that. When someone is so real right here, you may not have the skill on the outside, but let me tell you something. The, the, the witness that you have in the workplace and at the home, when you're full of the Spirit of Jesus, it goes a long ways, friends. It, it causes wheels to turn into your friends and your coworkers and your, and your family members. It has an amazing effect. Um, my wife is a hospice nurse. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, that is so perfect. And, and I had this morbid thought. I'm like, yeah, but it was a compliment. At the same time, I was like, you know what? If I was on my deathbed and I had nobody else but, I, but, but Andrea came to visit me, even for five minutes, man, I could be at peace. I could be at peace. I just, she just has that effect on people. She loves her patients. She, she cries with the families. She prays with them. It's just, it's just an amazing ministry she has going on. And I'm just like, wow. God loves people so much that, they would, uh, that he would send Andrea to them. Um, it's an amazing thing. And let me tell you something, friends. God loves your friends, your coworkers that may not know Jesus so much that he's put you there to, to minister and to witness to them. Um, maybe not, not the workplace. Some of, some of you guys are maybe in school. Some of you youngins. Uh, I'm speaking to teenagers and, and uh, young adults, people my age. Maybe you're in school. Let me share with you just a couple of things that happened to me. Uh, when I started studying the Bible in high school, I got to the place where something started to happen. I started out studying the Bible because I just thought prophecy was really, really cool, which it is, amen? Um, but God used that, and he, and, he, and he still is using it in this way in many, many people, anybody who approaches his word with a, with a longing to know him. But I, I, I started falling in love with the author of the book. And it puts something in my heart. And what happened is, it was kind of like David, when he writes in the Psalms, he would always say, do this for my heart. Do this to my heart. And, I'll, and he says, in my response, well, I will sing your praises wherever I go. You know, people think I'm nuts, but I'll sing anyways. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And I'll teach transgressors to not transgress anymore, to, to adore you and to love you and all, all of these kinds of things. He, he had this going on about him. And so, friends, here's the interesting thing. If you want to take your Bibles with me and go with me to Matthew 25, go ahead and be there while I share with you. So I, when, I, when I began to fall in love with the author of, of the Scriptures, I began to share it at my high school. Where did I begin to share it? At high school. Let me tell you something. I was very concerned about being cool in high school. I was. Um, I was semi-popular. Not super popular, but semi-popular. I mean, I, I did weird things. I, I, I was a big fan of Jackie Chan, so I did like little stunts and stuff all over the campus and somersaults and what have you. I climbed on everything. People thought that was cool. I also played guitar, so in the locker room I'd be playing and singing all the time and I'd get little audiences and stuff. And, you know, I was just like, I was kind of cool at my high school. Then, what happened was, 
I had to share the word with people. And so I just started sharing. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to do it effectively or tactfully in any way, but I just would just start sharing. It might, be a, it might have been a verse that I read that morning, but I'd share it with somebody sitting next to me in class. I'd just be like, can I share with you something that I just read? This is amazing. And then I began seeing flyers like this. There's like three or four churches in my town. And, and uh, three or four Seventh-day Adventist churches in my town. And whenever I'd see something like this, I'd say, oh, I'm going to go to that at that church down the street, and I'm going to take all my friends with me. So I'd take... Friends from my high school, I'd say, hey, you, you want to go with me to this thing? Yeah, sure. So I'd take them with me to this thing. <laughs> it started being known around my friends at school and even outside of my school, my, my cool friends outside of school, that uh, be careful when Andrew invites you somewhere, he's probably taking you to church. <laughs> he's probably going to take you to church. Um, and uh, what had happened is there would be times where I remember Net, 98, Net 99, Actually, Net 98 also. I took two of my buddies. We played in a little uh, punk rock slash emo band together in, in the 90s. And uh, this was back when emo was still cool. Um, we, we took, I, took, I, took, I took my band with me, Net 98, to Dwight Nelson. We went to all those meetings. Um, yeah, one of my friends actually got baptized in those meetings. Okay. Net 99 comes along, and I take some other friends. These are like the jocks at my school. They're all the football team, blah, blah, blah. I take them with me, and, and we go to Net 99, and we go to a meeting. Uh, Doug Batchelor is speaking. And uh, I, I actually thought my friends were bored to death. And when we left the place, I'm like, oh, no, they're not going to trust me anytime I invite them somewhere <laughs> ever again. So what happens is the very next day, they, they, I, I see them in the locker room. They all surround me. Okay? And they're not going to beat me up. They're nice. They're friends. But they, they said to me, dude, uh, we need to sit down and talk. I, did not, I never knew that Satan used to be an angel in heaven. What's that all about? And just the questions started pouring out. And, um, and I, I would just kind of go home and I said, I don't know. If, I, I don't have an answer for you right now. Let me, let me, let me look at that. So I'd come back with, with scriptures the next day and I'd share. And I started learning how to share. And I started learning my Bible that way, actually. Friends would start asking me questions. And, and, and just kind of interestingly enough, my girlfriend at the time in high school, was, her dad was um, a pastor of a, of a church, and, and we had some different views on, on what we believed about the Bible. But what was interesting is like, we kind of had like these uh, questions back and forth, but they'd go through his daughter. And through that, I'd give answers back to her dad, and we began sharing it. And we developed a really cool Bible study relationship through his daughter that way. And, um, and, and we both learned together uh, great things, and, I, and I, I, I learned a lot. I learned a, a lot more about my Bible, and, and it, it made me solid in, in what I believed in as well. Um, I've got a good buddy who's, uh, you know, I, and I can go story after story, but, you know, one friend just called me a couple of months ago saying, hey, thank you so much, man, for taking me on these fishing trips where you would play some preacher all the time in the truck. <laughs> and going on the way up the mountain, <laughs> going fishing, and, and coming back down, because I wouldn't be where I am today, okay? Let me tell you where he is today. Back then, he didn't really care about church or Jesus, and he'd never heard about really prophecy stuff, and I was the only Seventh-day Adventist Christian that he happened to know. Uh, today, he's, a, he's an evangelism coordinator for one of our Adventist institutions in uh, Colorado. He's, he's moving on to, to other things, too, now, but uh, just here's the thing. This is high school stuff, friends. These are people that I didn't think would be interested but I couldn't hold it in, and so I just share 
um, and just said, well, okay, if coolness dies out, that's okay. I've got Jesus. And, um, and I've gained a lot of you know, wonderful lifelong friends that way. So Matthew 25, sorry to hold you there. To, uh, that's okay. But um, Matthew chapter 25, interesting. We don't have time to study the whole parable of the ten virgins, but basically five wise and five foolish. There's wise virgins who have, they all have lamps, but there's virgins that are wise, five of them are wise, five of them are foolish, and the, the difference is that the wise ones took extra oil with them, with their lamps, and they're waiting to meet the bridegroom, but the bridegroom is tarrying, and then when eventually the bridegroom comes, um, or when the announcement comes, the wise, they, they start getting uncomfortable, and, and they wake up, they realize that they're their lamps have gone out, but they don't have extra oil to, to light them back up again. So they go to the wise ones and ask them, hey, please give us of your oil for our lamps have gone out. And they said, not so, lest there not be enough for us and you, but go rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. So while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came. All the wise virgins went into the, to the reception with him. But when the foolish came, um, basically, uh, verse 12, the answer is, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. Okay, so that's, that's what's going on. So look at verse 8, what we just said. The foolish said to the wise. They did what? Said. They said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. I just noticed this this week. I've been studying the, the ten virgins for, oh, 15 years now. Never, never caught on to this before. But basically... What's interesting is the tragedy of the foolish virgins is that they came to the wise and they asked for oil. And by the time they asked for oil, it was too late. It's too late. And I know the parable, we're, we're talking about church people here, but I think we can apply this to evangelism as well. I don't know about you, but sometimes I go about my way in the walk, I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm, I'm going to let my light shine. I'm going to wait for people to ask me about Jesus or what is it that's different about you or what makes you so happy and, and then I can tell them. Then, then I know that I have license to talk to them and I can share uh, you know, the things that, that make my heart tick um, for Jesus. I kind of have this concept, I'll wait for someone to ask me. In the parable of the ten virgins it says basically when it came time for them to ask when they finally woke up to the idea and asked, it was too late. Jesus says not only in Matthew, but he also says in Luke, he says, when, when I come again, there'll be two sleeping in a bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. And there'll be two grinding at the meal, or two in the field. One will be taken and the other left. You know what's interesting about that? Jesus is talking about two places in life. In the home, and at work. Home and at work. I want you to notice the point there, because uh, sometimes we, we, we use this text to, to talk about other things. But notice the message that's, that, that's coming out of this. The closeness of the two people. The sheep and the goats here. Within the home, some will be taken, some will be left. At work, one will be taken taken and the other left. The tragedy is that the one that's taken could have said something to the one that was left and not wait for that person to say something. I know it's a little bit 
morbid of a thought. I remember in my younger years reading the book of Revelation. I was reading about chapter 20 and, and 21 and reading about the city and New Jerusalem and, 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 and we're in the city and there's the walls of Jasper. They're transparent. You can see right through them. And when you read Revelation 20, you see that at a, at a time all the wicked are raised and they're surrounding the entire city. If you're not sure about that, come to the meetings and you'll learn all about it. But there would be that moment where I'm inside the city and there would be many that are without, but many that are within. And I couldn't help but, but struggle with this question that's in my heart. I, I, that, you know, on that day, probably the biggest thought that's on my heart, or even when I just get to heaven altogether, is going to be, who's with me here? You know, the people that I walked with day by day, the people that are in my life, the, the relationships that I cherished, um, when I get to heaven, probably a really important question that's going to be on my heart is, who's here with me? Did anybody get left? And I determined in my heart of hearts uh, that I'd, I, didn't want to, I didn't want anybody to be missing, even my enemies. <laughs> I can tell my enemies about Jesus. If we don't get along at the beginning of being in heaven, we've got a thousand years to sort that out, and, and, and God's going to make them nice. And he's going to make me nice, too. <laughs> Make sense? We'll grow. <laughs> but, uh, but even share with my enemies as well. Jesus says, be therefore perfect as your heavenly Father is imperfect. You know what the context of that statement is in? God loves his friends and his enemies. He causes the light to shine on, sun to shine on his friends and on his enemies. The rain to, to pour on his friends and his enemies. In other words, he, he loves both categories. He's, he doesn't leave one undone. And Jesus says, just like that, be like your heavenly Father. He's perfect. He's completing those two things right there. Um, so friends, I just, I just want to encourage you all together. Young people, don't be afraid to share with your friends. Some of you, they're getting up in years. Maybe you have, I don't know, dozens and dozens of stars in your crown already. You've led people to, to Jesus. Um, I encourage you to be like Caleb in Joshua chapter 14, saying, I'm just as strong as I was when I was 40. I can still fight. We can still reach out to, to our friends. Amen? Amen. We, can still, we can still share Jesus. Your light, in fact, it, uh, I would imagine, you know, the longer that you, you walk with Jesus, and I, and I witness it myself, it tends to grow brighter and brighter uh, the longer that we walk with Jesus. You have such a precious witness, and, and, it's, and I guarantee you it's effective, much more effective than you could probably imagine. Um, it's kind of hard when you're on, on this side of your face, because your brain's like behind the face, Moses didn't know his face was shining, um, and you might not either, but share it. Amen. Share it with your friends. Um, so I'm going to say a prayer. We're going to close out in prayer, but while, while I'm praying, I just want to encourage you to, to let the Holy Spirit take your heart to maybe some of those friends, those coworkers, those uh, family members, those within the house, or those that grind at the meal with you. Lift them up to Jesus. Um, and ask God for a holy boldness to not wait for them to come to you, um, but for that divine appointment to share with them. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, first we want to thank you so much for your power and your grace. That not only can you save us, that you can justify us, 
but you can, you can give us a heart of love, a heart of flesh, um, that, you can, that you can give us an experience where our actions follow our heart, and it's a good thing. Um, Lord, we pray for that miracle. That we, would, that we would trust you uh, to work such a wonderful thing in our lives. But Lord, we cannot stop there because life with you and the joy of salvation is so good and it's too good to keep to ourselves. We all know of people that could benefit from these meetings. And the question of our hearts is not to ask, would these meetings, are they the right topic for my friend at this time? Maybe they're not too into prophecy. Maybe it's going to be a little scary. Maybe, maybe, maybe we have a friend or a coworker, uh, Lord, that doesn't that may, we we can't imagine could be comfortable at a roundtable discussion type of meeting situation. But I just pray that you would cause us to wipe away all those questions, maybe some of those doubts or some of those uh, obstacles or hesitations, um, and only only ask the question: Is this something that you're blessing? Is this something that the Spirit is moving in? And I know that I'm convicted in my heart of hearts that the answer to that is yes. And that is all we need. Uh, give us the boldness to invite. Uh, and when there is no meeting on the horizon, help us to be ready to share even out of season. Um, so that that day, when that day comes and we ask the question, who's with me? Um, we'll get some taps on our shoulders of people that... Uh, that we did life with on a daily basis, uh, that we may have had the opportunity to share with, and they're there because of it. And they get to experience Jesus forever because of it as well. Um, so would you do that for us, each and every one of us today? Be with the young and the old. And that is our prayer, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.